So, Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 22 through 33 together this morning. If you were here last week, uh, we talked about how uh, Paul has called us as believers to live as light in a dark world. World, And we have spent the last couple of weeks uh, talking through this, this new self that we have uh, in Christ, right? That was Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 17, uh, down through 24. We have been made new in Christ. We're to put off the old self, put on the new self. And we've learned that this new self impacts our relationships with each other here in the church. Uh, this new self impacts, as we talked about last week, our involvement and our interaction with the culture around us. And we're going to learn today that it also gets pretty close to home. It's going to impact, should impact, uh, our marriages as well. So I know that a lot of preachers uh, will look at a passage like this and they will fear and tremble to talk about it because it tends to be uh, one of the touchier subjects, one of those uh, passages that are hard to deal with. But uh, I'm always thankful for... Just how we do things at Village, that we work through the scriptures verse by verse, uh, because we are going to deal with this text. We, we're going to talk about uh, what Paul has to say to husbands and to wives uh, today in Ephesians chapter 5 and, and what that may mean for us. So I recognize in doing this that we're going to spend a lot of time today talking about marriage. I also know that there are some of us who are here who aren't married. And so uh, part of the, the temptation may be, since we're going to talk about marriage, to just kind of check out, right? And think, this, this doesn't apply to me. I'm not married right now. I don't need to listen. I'm going to challenge you, if that's you, I'm going to look at those of you who that applies to, not to check out. And the reason is, I think there's some good encouragement for you, uh, even as you uh, engage with this text. Number one, to consider the fact that Paul has called us all as Christians to imitate Christ in every area of our lives. So our Christian faith is not one that just impacts some areas of our lives, not just the, the places where it's easy or convenient or comfortable, but it should impact every single area. Another thing for you to consider is how uh, to cherish how God is working in the church, how he has been working and how he still is working in the church. And this beautiful thing of marriage that even if you're not married, you can surely look at it and say, wow, this, this is a really cool thing that God has done. And finally, just on a practical note, for those of you who are hoping to get married someday, you may not be now, to really consider the spouse that God may be calling you to be and maybe the spouse that God may be encouraging you to look for. So uh, I just want to encourage you to stick with this and, and pay attention to this word and ask God to just uh, help you as, as we work through this to, to bring this to bear in your own life. Now, to the rest of us who are married, I don't want you to just take this passage as something that your spouse needs to hear. This isn't a, a sermon for just them. Uh, this is a sermon for all of us, okay? We, we shouldn't just assume uh, that we're all just knocking it out of the park uh, when it comes to our marriages. I know that I've had uh, some things that I've had to wrestle with this week in working through this passage as a husband. So I want us to first and foremost say, okay, God, what does your word have to say for me in this passage as a husband? What does your word have to say for me as a wife? Uh, and then hopefully as you go home and you're driving home or you're uh, sitting at home this afternoon, you start to talk about this with your spouse, that, that there's some engagement there as you as you work through some of these things. But one of the challenges that all of us will have to deal with, whether we're married or not, 
is discerning the line between the cultural influences on our marriage and Christ's influences on our marriage. I don't say that in any way to mean that our marriages should not have any cultural influence at all. We live within our culture that's going to be there. But the importance of discerning these things is to say, where do we value those ideals? Right? So when it comes down to it, God's uh, ordination, God's call for us as husbands and wives should supersede the cultural ideals that we are for, faced to deal with. So that's why we have to wrestle with some of these things. Because if we were to look at the culture around us, we just have to, to, to realize that it's not altogether working out super well. If you look at the stats and trends right now, Less and less people are getting married than ever before. It's just the, the fact of where things are at. Uh, people have been getting married later and later for years, and now there's people that, that just rather would not get married. The cohabitation is, is huge. It's through the roof. And so why, why commit in marriage when we could just play house in some ways? And so what's happening in culture, frankly, isn't working out too well. For those who are getting married, nearly 50% of all first-time marriages right now aren't ending well. They're ending in divorce. And so uh, that's a, a sad, sad statistic uh, to deal with. And so as we wrestle with these things, it's not just to say it's, it's hopeless, but to say, okay, we need to look at what God has called us to because simply the cultural take on things isn't getting us all too far. It's just not working out too well. And so we're going to see... I think, I hope we can draw this out of what Paul's talking about here because I believe it's kind of his vision for that as Christians, our marriages aren't so much just about, okay, just stick it out. It's not just so much about staying together for the sake of the kids. It's not just about sticking it out for the sake of convenience or simply out of conviction because I just can't divorce my spouse because I'm not supposed to. But I think Paul's vision for our marriages, God's vision for our marriages, that they would be meaningful marriages. And so uh, that's why I've titled our message today, Meaningful Marriages marriage, hoping that as we talk through this, it'll, as we uh, bring these things to bear, right? The, the whole point of where we're at in Ephesians right now is taking the doctrines and theology that Paul has talked about and saying, what does this now mean for our life? Let's apply this stuff. Let's get practical. And as we do that, I think we're going to see that there is a, a, a highlight here for our marriages as believers, as followers of Christ, uh, to be very meaningful in how we go about doing them. So I invite you, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, I'm actually going to start in verse 21, uh, and then we'll, we'll go down through our passage today. So verse 21, Paul says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For he is the husband, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. 
However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Would you just pray with me uh, before we dive into this and, and unpack this passage a little bit? Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and I ask for, for humility in the preaching of your word. I pray that the words that I have to share would be true and accurate to what you have outlined for us in this passage and in your word. Father, I pray for humility for those of us who are listening to the teaching of your word this morning, that we would receive it, that we would wrestle with it, that we would be open to what you would have to say in our own lives, uh, that we might bring these things to bear and apply uh, your word, not just simply be hearers, but that we would also uh, be doers. And so honor you uh, by our obedience and by our submission to you as our God, as our Lord above all things. So I pray, God, that you would be glorified. I pray that you would be lifted up in this time as your word is taught, that we would, we would take it seriously and honor you with it. And we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, before we jump into this passage in greater detail, I think it's important for us to, to stop and, and kind of build a foundation that's Paul's preface for, for us as Christians as we engage in our marriages. And that's why I started by reading verse 21. Now, depending on what translation you use, you might find uh, verse 21 placed in a different spot. Now, I don't mean that it's going to be out of order, like you're going to find verse 21 after verse 26 or something like that. It's all going to be in order, but uh, some translations will lump verse 21 in with last week's kind of heading. If you were to look at that first heading in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 5 in the ESV, that heading is walk in love, and the ESV uh, lumps verse 21 in under that heading. Some translations actually take verse 21 and place it under the heading of wives and husbands, kind of as the introduction to this kind of uh, passage, this, this context. But either way, no matter where your translation kind of draws that line, it's important for us to remember that both are fine. It's not that one is just better than the other, because when Paul wrote this, Paul didn't stop and add in the headings to wives and husbands or walk in love. Paul was just writing, right? And so either way we separate it in our English translations, it was the, first, the last thing that Paul said before he addressed wives. The last thing that Paul said before he addressed husbands. So with that foundation, I think it's helpful for us to stop and say, okay, as we talk about this, as we speak to wives, and we're going to talk directly to the wives for a little bit, and then we're going to talk directly to the husbands for a little bit, and we're going to talk to all of us together. But for all of us, it is built on this foundation that our marriages as Christians ought to be selfless. And the reason we do that, as we see uh, in that passage, is that we are all called, even just in our general relationships with each other as believers, to submit to one another. That means to, to give deference to one another, to honor one another. It's not that we go about in our lives as Christians, when we show up to church, when we're engaged in the workplace, that, that life's about us anymore. Now, we have been called to be selfless because why? Five, chapter 5, verse 1, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, right? In all of our relationships, we are to be selfless because we are imitating Christ. And he demonstrated that. He acted selflessly on our behalf. And with that, 
You know, some scholars will take this, this idea of our, our submission to one another and actually say that, that what Paul does is he's going to provide three different examples of what that submission looks like. So as we submit to one another, that involves uh, wives and husbands. We're going to see at the beginning of chapter 6, it involves ch- uh, children and parents and bond servants and masters. And so uh, some will say that these are just examples of what Paul is talking about. But at the end of the day, for all of us, no matter what we're going to be doing with this, we do so out of reverence for Christ. So as we deal with what Paul is talking about here, this is not just some cultural speaking that uh, was only relevant for his day. It's not just some things we have to deal with culturally for us today. It's foundational in our reverence for Christ above all things. Are we honoring him as our Lord and as our Savior? So with that foundation kind of laid, okay, we are called to selfless relationships. That means husbands, we're to be selfless for our wives. Wives, we're to be selfless to our husbands. Paul goes from there into verse 22 where he addresses the wives first. So ladies, if you're a wife this morning, I'm going to talk to you for a second because those scriptures talk to you. Paul says, wise, verse 22, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And I know in the day and age that we live in now, that concept, there's pushback to that. And sometimes to understand what Paul is talking about, it's helpful to stop and say, what is he not talking about to help give us a definition for what he is? So a couple of things of this submission to your husband is not Number one, submission is not just some sexist term that the Apostle Paul threw out there. All right, let's not forget that just in the last verse before this, Paul has called all Christians to submit. So submission itself is not a sexist thing like our culture may uh, slap a label on it. Now, you you may wrestle with that in terms of the marriage, but uh, in terms of the general concept of submission, it's not sexist. Also notice in verse 22, Paul is not calling women as a blanket submission to all men. He's saying, wives, submit to your husbands. Okay, this is your relationship, your marriage. Submit to your husbands. So it's not just saying, hey, women, get in your place and know your thing and don't step out of line. This is how you interact with your husband. All right, second thing that this submission is not is it's not a point of inferiority. And that by Paul's ideal is that by submitting to your husband, you are just making yourself a slave to your husband. That whatever he says goes. Uh, That just uh, because you submit to your husband does not mean that Paul is saying you become a doormat for your husband to just walk all over you. That's not the concept that Paul has. And I hope we can draw that out a little bit. Because as a matter of fact, as we talk to the husbands in a few minutes, frankly, For your husband to be the husband that he ought to be, he's going to need to care for you. He's going to need to listen to you. Your voice is going to have to be heard in your home and in your marriage. So it's not just an inferiority thing where you just get out of the way and let your husband rule the day. Thirdly and finally, this submission is not a point of inequality. God has not ordained marriage, nor is Paul speaking of this in the sense that women and wives are less than equal to men. That's not what he is conveying. Both men and women are both created in the image of God. That means in the eyes of God and the eyes of man, wives and husbands are both equal in value. 
your submitting to your husband does not change that, nor does it indicate that you are lesser than your husband. What Paul is getting at is there are different roles that are brought out within the marriage relationship. So for those who have been watching uh, the tournament, I love this tournament. Sports give a great picture to this concept, right? That on a team, you have different roles that are carried out to make the team better, stronger. That's what we're, be, we're starting to deal with here. That in our marriages, it is not a butting of heads. It is not just a com- competition for authority, but it is knowing where, where God has called us, what roles he has called us to fulfill in our marriages. So let's talk a little bit about what this submission is then. If you look at verse 33 with me, as Paul kind of wraps up this whole thing, he says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So we could say, in a general sense, number one, that if you are to submit to your husband, it involves you respecting your husband. Now, uh, does your husband know that you respect him? Sometimes we view uh, respect as one of those silent attitudes, right? There's like, well, I respect so-and-so, I respect this or that, but I don't have to express that. I'm going to push back on that just a little bit. Because it wouldn't make sense for us to say, hey, I respect God, but then go and live your life completely differently. That same word uh, that Paul uses in verse 33, see that she respects her husband, is the same exact word that is used when we are called to respect God. It's actually the word fear. Fear God. Fear her husband. Not in the sense of terror, not the sense of horror or anything like that, but that reverence and that respect. And so does your husband know that you respect him? How do you demonstrate that in your marriage, that you respect your husband? Are you communicating that to him, or are you communicating that in the words that you share, in the actions that you have? Does he know that you are respecting him for the man that he is and what he is doing for your family? Secondly, if we were to look at what this submission means, it it refers to a willing deference to your husband. I want you to notice something that we oftentimes gloss over when we read a passage like this. Who does Paul address? The wives. And I think that's rather important. Paul doesn't say, husbands, subject your wives to your will. He doesn't say, husbands, get your wives in line. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. That it's a willing submission, a willing deference there, that you submit to the leadership and authority that your husband should be fulfilling. Now, when we get into this, we always are burdened with the task of, are there caveats? Am I supposed to submit to my husband if he's not being the husband he's supposed to be? Am I supposed to submit to my husband if he's not a believer at all? Are there instances where this submission doesn't come to bear? And I'm going to be honest with you, and I'm going to be even more heavy-handed, maybe with the guys, in a minute, that the Scripture doesn't really give many caveats to this at all. If we're going to be totally fair and honest to the Scriptures, it doesn't give a lot of leeway. 
As a matter of fact, if you look at verse 24, uh, Paul says that now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So what about those circumstances? What about those instances where, uh, where, where, where rest, we're wrestling with these things and, and how do we work these things out when the rubber meets the road, when you're looking at your marriage, your home, you're saying, well, I'm struggling to do with this. This is hard. This doesn't make a lot of sense. How are we supposed to go about this? Surely I'm not supposed to submit to my husband when he doesn't even fear God, when he's not taking his uh, faith seriously, when he's not leading our family Maybe I need to step up and lead them. And I'm just going to say, let's slow down for a quick second here. Because that's not how the Scriptures deal with this. If you were to go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Peter, uh, I'm sorry, I said 1 Timothy. 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Peter talks to the same issue. And he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So that, and, and notice what he says here. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. How do you wrestle with that? What is, what is Peter addressing there? That's tough stuff. Like those, are, those are difficult, those are muddy waters to wade through. And in no way do I want to just assume that this is just some easy carte blanche, like, okay, you're going to have to, to really wrestle and walk with God. And that's where I think we go back to what Paul has said, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. But it sure seems as though Peter's saying, listen, even if your husband is not doing what this word has called him to do, submit to him. And you leave whatever's going on with your husband to God and you're saying, okay, I'm leaving this in God's hands and I'm going to do what God has called me to do as a wife and I'm going to submit to my husband and hopefully through my submission to my husband, God's going to get a hold of his life. And it's interesting that Peter would say even without a word from you, that God's, God's going to do something. We leave that to God. And even if he doesn't, I'm going to leave that in God's hands and say, I'm going to trust the Lord in this, and I'm going to be the wife that God has called me to be. And I know, and I, I, I want to, as best as I can understand as a man, to understand that that would not be easy. I'm not going to assume that that's just a walk in the park or that that's just the most joyful thing in the world. That may be very hard to do. You've got to deal with that before God. That even if hubby is blowing it, you at the end of the day as a wife are responsible primarily for yourself. I always grew up and my mom would beat that into our heads. You are responsible for you. You can't control what everybody else is going to do, but you can take responsibility for your own actions. So then what? Husbands, Paul has a lot to say to you. Frankly, for those of you who are wives in the room, that, that's what Paul gives you. Submit, submit to your husbands. If you look at our passage, there's an awful lot more text that's given uh, to the guys. To you, husband, there, there's a lot more instruction given to you than to women. So um, 
before we just jump in and say, hey, yeah, hoorah, right? Uh, God's word says my wife should submit to me. Let's, let's remember the story of the well-mannered man uh, who went and read a book about self-assertion. He said, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and try to put this thing into practice. I'm going to start at home. So he goes home one day, and he's like, all right, I'm going to go. And he sticks his finger in his wife's face, and he says, I'm the boss around here now, and I'm, whatever I say goes. So I want you to prepare a gourmet dinner for me. Go ahead and prepare my bath. And when I'm done with my bath, guess who's going to do my hair and get me dressed? To which his wife looks at him and says, who, the mortician? And by the way, that's not a conversation that happened in the Anderson home, just for the record. But many guys take this concept of a wife's submission to her husband and go there. And I'm going to be totally honest with you, that is not in any way the husband that Paul, the husband that God has called you to be. That is not it. So do not take this conversation to the wives saying, yeah, submit to your husband and say, yeah, see, I'm the boss in my house, and what I say goes, and have all these ridiculous expectations is your wife just as a servant to you. If that's where you're at, then you need to do some serious heart work before God. You need to wrestle seriously, husbands, with what Paul is going to call us to next. Because if anything, the things that we're going to see Paul call us to as husbands are way heavier than what he calls wives to. Wives, I know that that is a scary place at times to say, I need to submit to my husband. But guys, you really want to be the head of your house? You need to step up. And I'm going to be honest with us for just a minute. I think husbands have really dropped the ball in this. And I know I've dropped the ball in this. So let us not assume that we have been perfect in this. But uh, Paul, as he addresses us as husbands, he says, husbands, love your wives. Love your wife. Now, when Paul wrote these words, he was not speaking to Americans. He was not speaking to us in the year 2023. He was speaking to Christians in the first century in a Roman context. So for Paul to say, husbands, selflessly love your wife would have been revolutionary. Revolutionary for its day. Because wives, in that day, you were seen as nothing more than property, in essence. That's the brutal, sad reality of it. There were uh, definitely obligations and known obligations that wives had to husbands, but the fact that husbands had any true obligations to their wife, culturally speaking, just didn't exist. Didn't exist from a Jewish background even at the time to, to a Roman and Gentile background. Just They weren't there. So when Paul says, guys, we ought to uh, selflessly love our wives, a command that we have made so commonplace today. We've got aisles and in Walgreens and every card store about love and all this stuff. That concept would have been unheard of when Paul started writing this. Which bears to mind that the transformation that we have been called to as believers is so fundamental that it affects every area of our life. So what does that mean? Because culturally, we've come up with a definition of what it means to love your wife. Biblically, it's a different level. 
It's a different kind of love. Loving our wives is more than just saying I love you before you go to work or hang up the phone. It's more than kissing her goodnight. It's more than remembering your anniversary, which is hard enough for some of us to do. It's more than doing something for Valentine's Day. It's more than making a date night every now and then. Loving your wife is a daily act of selflessness. And we're going to see what Paul has to bear because I don't know if Paul just knows that guys are a little dull-minded sometimes and need some explanation for things or if there's just a whole lot of responsibility that goes into loving your wife. Either way, he unpacks it for us. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Lord, because he's going to show us what does this mean. All right. The first thing that we're going to see comes up, husbands, in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and what? Gave himself up for her. So if we are to love our wives, our loving our wives ought to mean our sacrifice for our wives. Now, well, we're going to see this, uh, this very principle stands in the opposition to this concept of domination that so often infiltrates this idea of the marital relationship, especially when you start talking submission. How can you be sacrificial and be domineering? The two are incongruent with one another. Sacrifice is in itself selfless. It is a selfless act. So it's valuing your wife's well-being as a person even above your own self, right? So we might uh, think of this in our families and say, okay, if I'm going to sacrifice for my wife, that means I'm going to sacrifice in a way that it will benefit her as a person and it may be even a detriment to myself. Which, by the way, guys, if we are being sacrificial for our wives, that means there is no expectation for something in return. So if you find yourself sacrificing for your wife, and then you turn around and are lording that sacrifice over her, guess what you're not being? Sacrificial. Instead, when you say, man, I gave up a round of golf so that you could go out with the girls and I could watch the kids, or I took the kids for the afternoon so you could get this or that done, and, or I did this for you and I gave it myself, I sacrificed in this way for you so you should do something. You're no longer being sacrificial. You are being transactional, if not even manipulative. To say, I have given for you so you should. You have found whatever that sacrifice is and deemed it as valuable enough a, a bargaining chip that you could use it against your wife later on. Guys, frankly, if you're going to be sacrificial for your wife, that means you're going to sacrifice even if it gets thrown back in your face, even if there's no thanks for it. doesn't matter. Sacrifice is acting selflessly with no expectation for something in return. We are to be sacrificial with our wives. Because, notice what Paul, where Paul goes from there. If we are modeling this after Christ's love for his church, he gave, Christ gave himself up for his church that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You see where Paul's weaving the doctrines and theologies that we've talked about back into this practical living this out? Guys, your wife is your top priority in your life. We have a temptation at times to make our careers more important, and we do so under the guise of, well, I just got to provide for my wife. And you sacrifice your wife on the altar of your career. Be careful. 
Christ gave himself up for his church because she was his prized possession, that he might present her holy and blameless without spot. Can you think back to your wedding day, gentlemen? I was thinking back to that this week, standing in the front of the church and watching Bree walk in. She was perfect, stunning, beautiful. More, I, I couldn't wrap my head around it. Photographers caught me crying, sadly. She was wonderful, guys. Think back to your wedding day. Your wife was perfect. And then you start to see the spots, the imperfections. And sometimes that wedding day moment fades way off into the the distance. What if we as husbands were called to nurture and care for our wives, that she might become more like Christ. That rather than saying, oh, now I see the the blemishes, and I see all the imperfections, and you're just not exactly who I thought you were at the beginning, and you're wrestling with new realities. Those things are going to be there. But we say, no, I love you so much. I value you above, above all things, that I would give myself for you. At the end of the day, Christ is the one who's going to sanctify. He sanctifies us. He's the one who is going to sanctify your wife, truly speaking. But surely, surely, guys, as husbands, we have been called to shepherd our wives. That we would be leading them in their faith. That we would be caring for them as a person. That we would take this thing seriously by being the spiritual leaders of our marriages. That we would sit there and take that very seriously. Because if you went all the way back to the beginning, went all the way back to Genesis, who did God instruct in the garden? Adam. And it was the expectation that Adam would shepherd his wife, that he would lead her and instruct her. And so as we go throughout this idea of being the shepherd for our wives, it means we got to set an example. You know how many times I've been convicted by that? that I, as the husband, need to set an example for my wife. So, guys, does your wife, does she see you studying the Scriptures? Does your wife see you laboring in prayer? Does your wife see you wrestling with the, the difficulties of our culture and where we live and how we're going to submit to God and bring things, these things to bear? Does your wife see you taking an initiative in your spiritual walk as a family? Are you the one setting the priorities? Are you the one setting the importance of your involvement in church and, and your, your pursuit of the Lord? Is she seeing you take those steps as the head of your household? It's your responsibility, gentlemen, to be the man, the husband that God has called you to be, that sacrificially we would lead our wives. Because it may not be an absolute rule, but it sure seems to be commonly true. We see this, that if you find a husband and a father who is is serious about his faith, you find a husband and father who is sold out for Christ, more times than not, you're going to see a wife and family who are following. But it's not always the opposite. Seems to be commonly true. So guys, are we shepherding our wives? If you're going to shepherd your wife faithfully, you can't be the only person involved in the conversation. You need to be listening to her. You need to know where your wife is at. And then you need to be intentional about wrestling with how you can protect your wife. 
Then you can be intentional about uh, wrestling with how you can encourage her, how you can spur her on, push her in her faith, how you might need to caution her at times. But we need to have those conversations. You need to know where your wife's at. It's part of being the shepherd of your household. Where's your wife? Where are your kids at? What do they need from you? How can you help meet those needs? What kind of intentionality? What kind of care? What kind of support is your wife getting from you as her husband? Based on your marriage, is your wife becoming more like Christ? Is she being presented uh, with splendor, without spot or wrinkle, holy, without blemish? Are you spurring her on in her walk with the Lord? Because guys, we get so caught up sometimes in providing for our families in the terms of paying the bills and put food on the table. But guess what? Providing for our families is about much more than just that. That is part of it. There's a lot of responsibility given to the gentleman. Third, because we're not done yet, husbands, serve your wives. Paul has an awful lot to say to the husbands. Look at verses 28 through 31. Now, Paul says, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Then he quotes Genesis, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Husbands, we ought to be serving our wives, and the service of our wives should be tangible and very practical. In the same ways that we would work to meet our own needs, we ought to be serving to meet the needs of our wives, make sure that she is not neglected in our life. So how do we go about doing that? Number one, it involves how we, what we supply for our wives, right? Where we think about that, put food on the table, pay the bills, provide shelter, provide all these things, clothing. We provide, we supply things for our families, but it is also in how we support our wives. How do we go about dealing with the relationship at home? Do we just expect them to to be at home and getting everything done and and serving us? Are we willing to give a helping hand? Are we willing to serve our wife in a very practical way that blesses her, that encourages her? We're to serve we're going to be serious about this. In 1 Peter chapter 3, where we read about the wives, then Peter turns and he talks about us as husbands being understanding, being understanding and showing honor to our wives. So it's not just the idea that we come home from work and we get to sit on the couch the rest of the night because we're tired. You come home from work and now you get to work again and serve your family, serve your wife. It's the high call of being a husband. It's a serious deal that we get to do. These things would have been uh, revolutionary for their day because you would not have been looking at your neighbors and seeing your, your neighbors living out a marriage in these same ways. You wouldn't expect to see uh, wives just submitting to their husbands and hov- husbands loving their wives in this way. You, as a matter of fact, in the early church, you may have never seen a marriage that modeled this before. You would have been doing this on your own only with the other believers around you. This is a high call of being a Christian and being in, in a marriage relationship with another individual, husband or wife. 
Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. By the way, even if they're not holding up their end of the bargain. Yet you'll notice that if both are doing what we are called to do, wouldn't that be a beautiful picture? Wives, would it not be a lot easier to submit to your husbands if your husband was loving you by being sacrificial, if your husband was serving, if your husband was going above and beyond in these ways, if he was shepherding you and really caring about where your family's at? It might be a lot easier to submit to your husband. But even if he's not, Husbands, even if your wife is rejecting your, your love and the way that you are caring for her and she's not appreciative of it, guess what? Love your wife. Because since when? Where in the Scriptures do we find a place where somebody else's actions get to dictate whether or not we follow through on what God has called us to do? Where do you see it? We've been called to something, so let's act on that. Let's submit ourselves to Christ and love our spouses. So, as we work towards this, not only does Paul give the practical side of it like we've talked about, but there's also the component of it where our marriages ought to be symbolic with it, uh, to something. Our marriages are to be symbolic. That The relationship between husband and wife are meant to resemble the relationship between Christ and the church. So as we wrestle with this, uh, we see this come out in a few different ways. Uh, not neglecting that, that charge we were given at the beginning of chapter 5, be imitators of God. So both the husband and the wife in our relationship, are, it, it, our symbolism involves our imitation of Christ. So wives, as submitting to your husbands as head over your household and marriage, you are imitating Christ who submitted himself to the Father. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul writes this, Have this mind among yourselves, speaking to all believers, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, didn't account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ has given a model, always God, but emptying himself, humbling himself. Which, by the way, if you're going to take this analogy, this symbolism to the nth degree, you know what uh, Paul says next in Philippians? Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Did you hear that, husbands? That as your wife submits to you, you would exalt her. That you would lift her up. That, that wives, your humiliation, if you will, take such a harsh term of it to your husband is also your exaltation. That as Christ humbled himself, it was his exaltation. So, so let, guys, let's imitate God and elevate our wives. Let's, let's honor our wives. Let's present her and, and make her something so special that in our, our conversations with other guys around a campfire or while we're out shooting guns or whatever it is that we're doing as guys, that we are not uh, belittling our wives. We're not ragging on our wives. But we, are, we are bragging on our wives because they are a gift from God. That as they submit to us, we would elevate them and we would honor them to such a high place because we can't deny the fact that all throughout this passage that we have been dealing with in Ephesians 5, every single bit of it that has been charged to husbands is to imitate exactly the relationship that Christ has with his church. And that's a pretty high call. 
It is not that Jesus just kind of loved the church. It's not that Jesus just incidentally loved the church. Jesus wholeheartedly loved the church. So let's go above and beyond and love our wives and model it off of how Christ has loved us. It's a huge call for us as men. It's a huge call for you as wives to imitate God in this. Secondly, the symbolism involves the institution as it was created. You notice verse 31. I don't think it's a coincidence that Paul says, Therefore, uh, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's quoting straight out of Genesis 2, which is right before you get to Genesis 3, which is what? The fall, which means this is what it was designed to be from the very beginning, which he says in verse 32, what the mystery is profound. But I'm talking or I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So when marriage was instituted, it was instituted between one man and one woman to resemble, to point people to the relationship of Christ and the church. That's how it was always designed to be. What a beautiful picture because it's not that Paul just went and said, okay, all right, let's look at all the different relationships that we have under the sun and say, okay, which one most represents Christ in the church? Oh, marriage ought to do the trick. God meant it for that. He created it for that. So from the very beginning, that's what it was designed to be. That's where we are to go. That's what our marriages represent. What an awesome opportunity. So we get to portray to the whole world those who would look in on your marriage and your relationship and say, man, what an awesome relationship that they have. So cool that it would resemble the love and the sacrifice that Christ has for the church, that it is a model for that. It's, it's a witnessing tool. Your marriage is your primary witnessing tool even with the world that God has given. He built it into the whole design. The problem is chapter 3 of Genesis came. We were forced to deal with the issue of corruption. Because the design is great. The symbolism is beautiful. But we went and screwed it up. Genesis 3 happened and as God is dealing with that, he he says in Genesis 3.16, he addresses Eve and he says, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. The push, and I'm going to be as honest as it can be, the push and the, the desire for wives to rule over their husbands is a consequence of the fall. But again, it's interesting that God didn't say that to Adam. He did not say, Adam, your wife's desire will be to rule over you, but you will rule over her. He said it to Eve. And so the issue of corruption has affected both the wife and the husband. That now husbands, it has become known, and this is where there's such pushback to this, have become domineering and just ruling rather than being the leader and the head of the house that they were called to be. Sin has corrupted all of it. So that some guys dominate over their wives, are cruel. Some men 
abdicate their responsibility altogether, leaving their wife saying, where's the leader that I, that I need in our house? Sin has corrupted it, but thanks be to God, He is a God who redeems. We're told in Ephesians 1 that we have redemption in Christ's blood. That redemption means that as believers, we also now have an opportunity to, to bring back the design of marriage. Guys, you have the opportunity to be the husband that you were meant to be. Wives, you have the opportunity to be the wife that God's called you to be. That that picture, that symbolism can be restored. That we can live that out. We can model that in our own homes. It's an awesome thing that sin doesn't have to ruin the whole thing. So at the end of the day, Verse 33, to sum the whole thing up. Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let, each, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Final charge. So those who are married, let, take that home with you. Live that out. To those of you who aren't married, let me just challenge you to not just settle for the first guy or girl that has a twinkle in their eye and gives you the butterflies. Be careful about who you choose to pursue in your life. So girls, find yourself a, a, a godly man who fears God, loves God, and is going to serve you, will shepherd you in your faith. A guy who cares about your walk with Christ. A guy who will be sacrificial for you. A guy who will truly love you. Not just say it and not just manipulate you. Be serious about it. It's an important thing to look for. Guys, time to man up. Look for a woman who loves God, submits to God. Find a woman who cares so much about Him and, and wants to love and serve Him with her life. Be careful who you're looking for. Get yourselves in a lot of mess. And then, be intentional about becoming the spouse that God's called you to be now. Don't just wait till you're married. Be the spouse God's called you to be before you have a husband, before you have a wife. Pursue God above all things. Guys, God has created marriage to be an awesome blessing. He's created it to be a, a means for his glory, but also for our good. So let's not neglect that. Let's, not, let's be very intentional. Let's nurture our relationships, our marriages, that we would not just stick with them, that we wouldn't just go through the motions, but that our marriages would be so meaningful, so rich, because that's how God's designed them to be. What a beautiful thing. They are to resemble the relationship that we have with Christ. Such a great blessing from God. So let's use our marriages to honor Him and to honor each other. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this morning. And God, we are grateful for this relationship that you have given to your church or we're grateful for the the privilege that it is to have a spouse who loves you and father i pray that as we go throughout this relationship that as husbands we would love our wives that we would be serious about loving our wives and leading them and caring for them uh, father i pray that for for the wives they would they would find great joy in submitting to their husbands Father, I ask that you would help all of us to do so in such a way that we would honor you above all things, that we would do this out of reverence for you, 
out of respect for you, that we would imitate you in all that we do. And I pray, God, that our marriages, as your people, would be a beacon, a broadcast system for your love and care and concern for us as your church. Father, may you be glorified in our relationships and all that we say and do. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. I've uh, decided to have communion at the end of our service today because I found it fitting that uh, all of the things that we've talked about, this relationship between Christ and the church and, and everything that uh, we are celebrating and remembering about this Holy Week uh, leading up to Easter is so centered around Christ, so centered around his sacrifice that he gave for us. And so uh, as, as we as husbands are called to give ourselves up for our wives, uh, we do so remembering that Christ gave himself up for us and that uh, by his sacrifice, and we will remember even on, on Fridays, we come together for, for that special time, it is meant to be something that we, we would cherish. But one of the wonderful things, and I, I wanted to kind of take this uh, somewhat this route uh, this time as we do communion, if you were to look back at, at some of the, the early church's practices, when they would celebrate communion, they did so in a very celebratory manner. They were, they, it was a celebration for them to celebrate communion. Uh, we often celebrate it in a very somber, reflective way, and there's a place for that too. Um, we're, we'll do that more on Friday. Friday when we take communion again together as a church. But this morning, I wanted to come to the, the Lord's table together in a bit of a celebration, right? Uh, celebrating the fact that because of Christ's sacrifice, because of his body broken for us, because of his blood shed for us, that we had this great opportunity to, to find redemption, the great opportunity to be restored uh, in our relationships with each other, and most importantly, with our relationship with Christ. That those of us who are in Christ, we all are one with him because of his sacrifice, because of what he's done. So this morning as we do this, I just want to encourage you to take a moment uh, as the guys come forward. You guys can, can come forward now as we uh, celebrate this sacrifice that, that Christ has made and we pass out the elements. I, I would just encourage you to go before the Lord in a spirit of thanksgiving and just thank him for what this sacrifice means uh, for you, what it has done for you, what it has done for us, uh, that we would come together just to, to celebrate his great love, to celebrate his great sacrifice on our behalf. So uh, guys, uh, I'm going to get pass these out and you can pass them down the aisles and we'll walk through and we'll take the elements uh, together in just a moment.
I invite you to peel back the top layer and find a little wafer in there. Uh, as we come before the Lord's table, we're reminded of that, that night that Jesus was betrayed. Uh, right When he sat with his disciples and he took the bread and he broke it and he explained uh, how this, his, this bread represents his body that will be broken for us. And so as we uh, come before the Lord's table, we're reminded as the Apostle Paul says this, the, Jesus said on the night he was betrayed, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And peel back the second layer for the juice. And that same night, and in the same way also, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The wonderful thing I'd like to encourage us with too is as Paul does this, he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So truly, this is a, it is a celebration. A celebration to remember the sacrifice that Christ has made and a celebration that causes us to look ahead, to anticipate when he will return again one day uh, for us as his church, that we will be reunited uh, with him. And so what an opportunity to, to remember this and to celebrate it as a church.